altar pastor. And so um, I was just thinking that if the goal is to save lives, the bikinis that the Baywatch girls wear, that's not conducive to, to running fast and doing active things and saving lives. Like, why are they wearing those? I mean, it probably woke a lot of people up. <laughs> that I mean, would be the honest answer. Hasselhoff gets to run around in the shorts and like the jacket, which is weird. <laughs> but yet the girls are out there in like, you know, one piece bikinis, basically. And I'm just like, th- that's not fair. Although that is the typical lifeguard uniform. Like even at our public pool. The one piece? Mm-hmm. It, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, but our pool, look, it's a lot different than California. <laughs> yeah. And it could be cool. I mean, David Hasselhoff gets a jacket. It could be cold <laughs> in some of those some of those days. But the you wind ladies, no jackets off the ocean. And poor Yasmin Bleeth. No one cares about her comfort. Maybe she didn't like the jackets. And Maybe that's like, why she got on drugs. No one ever thinks about that, but I do. Poor Yasmeen. I wonder what ever happened to her. She had to go to rehab, right? I, I hope so after you said. <laughs> also, I have trouble discriminating between uh, characters and the actresses who play the characters. <laughs> but Yasmeen did have a, uh, some sort of problem. That I don't remember the outcome of, but not Pamela. Pamela just, you know, is loved. She never had any issues. Yeah, is loved by Borat and um, Tommy Lee uh, from Motley Crue. <laughs> and uh, other, you know, anyways, David Hasselhoff's loved by Germans. All the Germans. All the Germans. He's a big uh, deal. He tore down the Berlin Wall. Pretty much single handedly, as yes. I'm told. <laughs> this is a true story. David Hasselhoff ended communism. <laughs> Fascism and everything else. In Europe. He didn't go to Asia. Every time I'm in a, a bad situation, I think, what would David Hasselhoff do? Um, he uh, also went to space and saved us from a Sharknado. <laughs> Fact. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, talk about not being able to delineate from reality and entertainment. <laughs> that, Sharknado was pretty much a documentary. <laughs> yes. Which, wow. I, I'm not going to lie. I truly missed that franchise. Mm-hmm. Like, it was so cheesy and campy, and they knew it. And they just were like, you know what would be awesome? As if this Sharknado went to space mm-hmm. and we had the Hoff stop it at a kid Hoff. Um, so uh, this is Pop Culture Pastor, uh, our podcast here. Uh, usually it's just me and Cody. But for the news segment, we also have BJ, who is also a pastor. I am. Yeah. First time on here. Three pastors. BJ Wall, welcome. Yeah. Thanks. To the geeks of the round table. Yeah. I'm probably the worst person to be on here, but I'm glad to be here. So. B- BJ's not big into pop culture. No. He's just going to be a third guy here. Yeah. You'll just hear me laugh a few times. He's <laughs> a voice. That's <about> it. <laughs> and uh, I'll laugh because I don't know what's happening. Well, okay. Our new segment will play into your hands this week, though, because we have simple okay. news to talk about. 
just a few stories because a couple of them might be longer deal with real life real world issues unfortunately (laughs) um the first one doesn't uh i just wanted to talk about leonardo dicaprio i've heard of him going to coachella with his girlfriend camilla maroney he's 47 she's 24 i don't think we should we don't really have to talk about that if we don't want to (laughs) i will say i find it weird um that everybody was you know bombing on that pastor of course, he was 63 and the girl was 18. But, you know. Oh, I know. Oh, what you're yeah. About. That waited till she was 18 and then took a picture of it and like celebrated. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's it, bad news all the way around. Yeah. But how come Leo gets a pass? Well, they did make fun of it at the Oscars, but they asked him for his approval to make fun of that at oh, the did Oscars. Mm-hmm. And he, did, he did not slap anybody. He no, did not. They did so. not do that for Will. <laughs> nobody asked him. I don't think. <laughs> Pretty sure nobody asked him if they could make an alopecia joke. Uh, 47 <laughs> years old. Okay, so, but that's not what I want to talk about. Leo showed up, uh, you know, trying to conceal his identity. He's wearing his hat real low. He does that. And he was wearing a Kansas City Royals hat, which clearly means the Royals are winning in the World Series this year. <laughs> they got to 500 last night. There's a rule. As this is aired. If Leo is wearing your hat, and he's not from Kansas City, then we're probably going to win the World Series. That's that's a real thing. Fact. Yeah. What's it like? What do you think it's like to be Leo DiCaprio? He's. I mean, I, I don't often think of him, but he's like he's older than me. He's two years older than me. He's 47 years old. And this dude has a 24-year-old girlfriend, and he's still going to Coachella. Hmm. He just has too much time on his hands. Do you think? Do you think it's because, like, when you make movies, when you're a movie star, you have that like three months where you're just you're indisposed, right? Mm-hmm. You're you're working on the set every day, but then you have these long swaths of time where you just like time on my hands. Yeah, that's it. That's it's what wild. I'm going with. What a wild life! What a wild life! Yeah. Do you think Leo ever gets married? No. No, or, like or maybe a couple of times. Like, look, it's either I, no or a couple of times. Because this is my first thought. If uh, me at forty five, I'm not even as old as Leo, and let's say something happened to my wife, the thought of having a twenty four year old girlfriend is sounds like hell. Sounds exhausting. <laughs> it sounds like uh, no thanks. I'll no. just be alone. <laughs> but he does have. This parameter of age range he likes to date. Oh, this is a this is a tradition with Leo. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to grow up. He's a Toys R Us kid. Essentially. Okay. All right. Yeah, well, well you know, whatever. I, he seems like a good enough dude. He's involved in a lot of charitable causes. Um, Like his parents... I was watching a documentary. Of course you were. <laughs> Every time we start talking about something, it's like, well, this reminds me of that documentary I watched. <laughs> well, but like he helped executive produce this documentary and he was interviewed for it where he said like, oh, my parents introduced me to this artist. And I'm like, when you were 10, you were looking at this? You hippie? <laughs> hmm. He he does seem like he was raised by hippies, in a way. Like he's very bohemian. Um, him and Joaquin, Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, yeah. Are they friends? They should be. I hope they are. Yeah, in my head they are. 
we'll have to we'll have to ask them. I know that he that Leo's friends with Toby McGuire. Oh yeah, well they used to be part of that pack. There yeah. was a pack of them when they were younger, in the young days. Yes, when they ran out, you know, they were clubbing like Ice Cube. We be clubbing. <laughs> See, I know things. That's because you you're forty-five. <laughs> Are you saying Ice Cube's old? Yeah. Oh, well, you start off the gangster rabbit rapper and then become the America's family dad. movie dad. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, you live long enough to become the villain, am I right? Uh, okay, let's talk about the serious stuff. First of all, let's talk about Ezra Miller. Oh, my goodness. Ezra Miller, uh, who is supposed to be playing The Flash. In a movie that I assumed was pretty much close to done filming. No, it wasn't. But why? Like, this movie's been in development for... It's been, it's been shooting forever. I think that they realize there's some toxicness within Warner Brothers, and it might have made it into the movie, and so um, they keep reshooting. Ezra Miller, who is supposed to be playing The Flash and is filming this movie, was arrested again last Tuesday in Hawaii after allegedly throwing a chair at a woman and leaving her with a gash to her forehead. He's got to be gone right now, right? I mean, they can't continue with him. First of all, this dude needs help. He's clearly got problems. And, like, it's, it's one thing to sit here and look at the headlines and be like, oh, man, what a loose cannon. But at some point, you got to be like, okay, we have to care about this dude as a human being. And there is a pattern developing of this erratic behavior. Because, again, a handful of years ago, he choke slammed a fan, some older lady. I want to say they were like in Sweden, Iceland, somewhere around there. How did it get this far? Was it because he's kind of bohemian and people just thought, eh, he's just different? But clearly this dude's got some pent up pain of some sort, because that's where all of this kind of stuff comes from. Right. Usually. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's two options. He's either got some kind of pent up pain or he's a big jerk. And I think we want to believe the best in people. Typically. And we understand as ministers that brokenness comes from brokenness. Yeah. And uh, I don't know what it has gone on in this life what is going on in this life i just know it doesn't look good and it's not helpful for people around him so this latest incident came on the same day he appeared via zoom in a hilo hawaii courtroom to plead no contest to a disorderly conduct charge which stemmed from an incident at a karaoke bar last month so on the same day another incident uh, he was taken into custody about 1.30 a.m. Tuesday for second-degree assault. Police say Miller allegedly became irate when asked to leave an acquaintance's home and threw a chair at a woman. The 26-year-old victim reported a half-inch cut to her forehead, uh, and then he was eventually released. But more trouble for them. I don't know, like, the, this Flash movie is supposed to be like the linchpin from the moving forward. Of whatever it is they're going to do. Now I'm just kind of. There was a bunch of shakeups in the past week there. Like there's a new guy in charge maybe. Of the DC part of the Warner Brothers stuff. Oh I know that since Warner Brothers and Discovery combined. That 
the higher ups are now wanting to do like Disney and Marvel and create mm-hmm. a completely separate studio where all they focus on is DC and yeah. have someone new that's not associated with the past issues. Okay, so here's what I'm going to say. Since um, I am like, because for me, and I'm not a big DC guy, my first thought is like, s- start from scratch. Just completely start over. But since you're the DC guy, I'm going to defer to you. What do you think they should do now? Um, I mean, you can act like things have not happened, like certain movies, such as Justice League. Um, and just keep telling individual Aquaman stories. Keep telling Shazam, Black Adam, which those naturally cross over. Mm-hmm. And so... You have their individual movies, and then you have the crossover movie, and then maybe down the line you establish a Justice League, but I think you just keep going with solo movies unless there is a natural crossover. Okay. Which, again, Shazam, Black Adam, they're like very closely connected. I think I agree with that, because I think the problem with DC is they've been trying to fast forward what Marvel did. Mm. Yeah, Mar- Marvel had 22 movies building up to the Infinity conclusion sagas. Yeah, and and they, a lot of those were solo movies. And granted, there were little Easter eggs that would point you towards that ending. Um, I think War- Warner Brothers should slow way down. Like, just focus on making good individual movies, and we can we could talk about how to combine them later on. Yeah, like uh, you do a couple more Batman movies, you get a couple Superman movies out there. Now, I'm a Marvel guy. Cody's more of a DC guy. BJ, what's your level of of interest in comic book movies or comic books in general? I love the movies, Uh uh, Marvel movies. I don't know much about DC, but I really like Marvel movies. But Uh, so you're a a lover of the entertainment, but you didn't grow up with comic books. No. Okay. I didn't grow up reading. I was like, I am not reading anything. The funny thing is, is I think you're the... You're part of the larger group now because mm-hmm. so many people fell in love with the MCU mm-hmm. that now you have all these people who are really into that who have no background in the comics. It's like Moon Knight. You guys probably know what's coming, and I don't have a clue what's coming. No, I have no idea. And really? I read Moon Knight comics, but that, like it's oh, weird. Okay. It's super yeah. weird. I mean, you have a general idea because um, especially with the episode that debuted this week, and we're oh. not going to get into any spoilers here. Uh, that'll be next week. We are going to talk about Moon Knight going into the finale next week, next pod. Um, but it you, it's it was clear this week, especially the last ten minutes, dealing with the the alleged mental institution. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's all I'll say. Uh, where they're clearly borrowing from a run in the comics. Uh huh. Okay. But there's so much of it that's changed, and that the, you don't know the way they're using it yet. Like. Uh, the Moon Knight, this has been one of the harder Marvel series, if you're a lover of the comics, mm-hmm. to kind of predict because they're combining a lot. They're coming up with their own material. And frankly, they should because Moon Knight was just such a weird, trippy character mm-hmm. in many ways. And Moon Knight himself in the comics has been changed and done differently so many oh, times. Really? Yeah. So it's not like Captain America where Steve Rogers is pretty much the same dude over the course of his existence. Mm. Moon Knight has been done lots of different ways. Kind of like Batman in that regards, because Batman goes on different runs where like 
Okay, he's a detective. Now he is. Oh, like he's this funny. Yeah. Funny oh no, dude. he's savage. You know, yeah. like <laughs> uh, now he's emo. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's they, a good comparison, actually. Yeah. Hmm. Like it's not Superman. Superman's pretty much the same dude, but Batman has changed over the years several mm-hmm. times. Mm-hmm. And I would say that yeah, Moon Knight is much the same way. Is he's just a character that even in the comic book writing has lended itself to being like telling the writer or whoever is running the story at the t- at the time like, hey, have fun with it. Do what you want to do with the character. Hmm. And so um, it's kind of been fun as a comic book geek to watch the Moon Knight series and say, oh, someone's going to do their take on it. Because even like, you know, Loki, which was kind of an out there premise with the TVA and all that, they're still beholden to the comic book versions of Loki. Right. Mm -hmm. They're still they still have to tell a story that fits into these parameters, even as they were getting weird and out there. Um, and it's been kind of refreshing to watch Moon Knight and just being like, hey, here's our own story about Moon Knight. The MCU Moon Knight is going to be our own version. Yeah. And that's that kind of cool. cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Not knowing as a comic book lover, not having any idea of how they're what, what direction they're going to go with this has been fun. Yeah. So, Cody, you think they should eliminate this Flash movie that's coming out? Yeah. Or you bring in TV's Arrowverse Flash Grant to to reshoot all Ezra scenes or like Photoshop him in and I think it would be really interesting to see Grant Gustin on the big screen as Flash because part of the complaint against the Grant Gustin would be like, oh, that show's so goofy. It's like, yeah, but it's a TV show. Yes. If you give him the movie sensibility and the the cinematography of a movie I mean, he could play a serious Flash. Oh, yeah. And it would be kind of cool to see. Hmm. Yeah. I, you don't have to be married to Ezra to to have a Flash movie. I thought you were going to say you don't have to be married to Ezra to take a chair in the fort. <laughs> that um, would be... Apparently, you just have to well, be a bystander. <laughs> well, I was thinking, how quick did, like... Okay, once again, I'm not a pop culture guy. But didn't Will Smith lose a lot when he slapped Chris Rock? Well, it's uh, that's still being... Fleshed out, but I'm gonna say, yeah, yeah, yeah. He appears to be losing quite a bit. This dude can hit a chick in the head with a chair, and they're like, We might still keep you. Uh, Like, okay, but you bring up an interesting point there. Like, it's weird. Okay, so there's like this criticalness in our society that we've talked about a lot on this podcast. Um, but it's it seems like we decide when to utilize it. Yeah. So I think with Ezra, we've been given every opportunity to say, like, man, this dude has issues and needs help. And with Will, I think people naturally wanted to be that way with Will. That's why at first everyone's like, Chris Rock's horrible. How dare he make that joke? I'm with Will. And that's because we like Will. Mm -hmm. We do. We yeah. love Will Smith is a beloved figure in that industry, and everybody hates Chris. <laughs> but I think as time has gone, we're like, okay, now you're seeing more, especially like Jada Pinkett Smith did another episode of their podcast, but without Will. Mm. And like, I think people are starting to see, like, oh man, they've got real issues. Mm-hmm. And he's got real trauma from his past, and she's got real trauma, and they're having a real hard time. Right. And so I will say it might be the stage 
that Will was on, that it was like broadcast across national television. Mm. Although Ezra Miller, the incident back in whatever Scandinavian country that he chokeslammed the lady, it was filmed. Like I have yeah. watched the film of him taking her out after she was just laughing and uh, was seemingly was trying to get an autograph or something. And then boom, yeah. like he flips a switch and like, yeah. so is there like some political double standard? there? like, we're going to make this stand. Well, on will the problem with Ezra is he's the way he comes across in these moments is he's obnoxious. He's, okay. he's okay. very, See, unlikable. I don't know who this dude is. So like I've been reading a lot about, so I, the, the, the Hawaiian stuff, the mm -hmm. stuff you're getting from people in Hawaii about this whole situation is is that he's that he's basically detestable, that they just don't like him. He's not a likable person. Uh, but again, we have a hard time as human beings distinguishing that when someone's being like that, it's still brokenness. Like there's oh, still yeah. like this comes from a place of trauma and brokenness, and it's just harder because we can all look at Will Smith on the other hand and say, "Boy, he's never done anything like that." Mm -hmm. It was just like he overflowed. His brokenness overflowed in that moment, and with Ezra, it's different. But that's why, like talking about Ezra, Ezra Miller, it makes I start to get really concerned because I'm like. Man, is anybody checking on this dude? And as as recent things with like Bruce Willis has told us, a lot of these actors are being used, and and no care is being given to their condition. Yeah. So Bruce Willis was essentially been made to act over the last several years, even though he was had this condition where he couldn't even remember his lines, but he, like he's being driven by these people that are gravy training him. Yeah. We're yeah. still making money off him. And this poor dude, you know, doesn't get thought about. Well, maybe the same with Ezra Miller. Ezra Miller, most likely everyone can see needs help, but someone's making money off his, his, these contracts he's signing. That's true. Yeah. And, and the question always comes down to like, does anyone care about this dude? Because someone should. Yeah. Um, or are we just going to let him keep acting out, getting arrested, and then lose his worth, and then everyone will abandon him? And that, that would be a tragic thing. That'd be tragic. I don't know. It's hard. It's hard watching people go through things publicly. Because when I go through things, <laughs> it's just, just between me and the walls of my house, you know, <laughs> and yeah. God. Yep. And uh, Ezra Miller, I, I actually feel even with you read these like accounts and he's obnoxious. Um, I find myself feeling for him and being like, man, is there anyone in his corner that's caring about him right now? And I just don't know if there is. I just don't know. Yeah, we can move on. I had nothing else to say. Just to, I wanted to know about your the input on the DC stuff. Where do you think it's going to go from here? Yeah, I think you can keep going, but like get rid of that idea of having a universe for the time being. Um, I am looking at an article now where they said, uh, it, it, that it, it's, it's a, basically an article about Ezra Miller and, um, caring about like his mental health mm. and, and then that maybe some people are coming around to this, but, uh, he's clearly a danger to others right now, which means he's probably a danger to himself. Um, Yeah. Anyways, let's move on to a different uh, poo storm. Oh, 
in the world of Hollywood, and that would be the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial. I almost so, brought his name up. Yeah. There's a reason that we use Pooh Storm. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, like the weird thing is, is not many people are talking about this trial, and I've been following it, and it's bonkers. Like the stuff they're talking about is bonkers. Yeah. And, and there's been these other news items that kind of take the luckily maybe for them kind of take the spotlight off it but basically they're in a courtroom and they're they're arguing about who was abusive Mm -hmm. and some of the stuff that's being brought out here is just bonkers so johnny depp took the stand jonathan as i like to call him jonathan we like to use their full christian name here (laughs) in pop culture pastor um but he took the stand this week this is a $50 million defamation case that he's brought against his ex-wife, Amber Heard. So she wrote, the story is that she wrote some op-ed about abu- abusees, being yes. abused, living through abuse. She didn't mention his name, but everybody knew who she was talking about. And Johnny Depp lost work. This is why he's suing her for money. He's saying it's all a lie. In fact, he said this in the, in, in the trial. He said, um, never... Did I myself reach the point of striking Miss Heard in any way, nor have I ever struck any woman in my life? He said, violence is unnecessary. Why would I hit someone to make them agree with me? I don't even think it works. It's just not me. Um, instead, Johnny's on the stand and he says it's Heard who is violent with him. And during his testimony on Wednesday, he accused her of throwing two bottles of vodka at him. After he suggested they get a post-nuptial agreement. First of all, that's not a thing. <laughs> a post-nuptial agreement? I think what you're looking for, John, is a divorce. <laughs> that cracked me up. I'm like, a post-nuptial agreement? <laughs> that don't work. <laughs> well, you should have realized that pre-nuptial. <laughs> <laughs> that, that blew my mind. I was like, well, yep, that'll do it. I could see why she got angry. (laughs) Um, You know, you stop short of throwing bottles at him. Um, And that incident severed the tip of one of his fingers. I was going to say, I read that he like lost a little bit of a finger. Yeah. It delayed filming on a Pirates of the Caribbean movie that he was working on at the time. Um, The court also this week heard recordings of the couple arguing uh, Amber Heard was heard saying on the recording, I'm sorry that I didn't hit you across the face in a proper slap, but I was hitting you. Uh, and, and she went on to say, I was not punching you, babe. You're not punched. So, but she was hitting him. Like, I don't know. It's the recording sounds bonkers too. She comes off looking kind of bonkers, to be honest. Yeah. Um, which of course was what they're trying to prove. Uh, she wrote this op-ed of course that all led to this and the, and and the whole trial is based on this that Johnny says that she's the one who uh re- quote roundhouse punched him in the cheek I don't even know how you do a roundhouse I was punch. sitting here trying to figure that out too <laughs> uh said Johnny Depp said in the trial what was just played on these audio recordings was very much the tone and the aggression and the attitude and the need for a fight from Miss Heard. Uh, the actor spoke about another fight. This is all coming from Yahoo Entertainment uh, that Amber Heard supposedly instigated when she started scratching Depp in 2015. He admitted to trying to restrain her and that there was accidental contact, but not a headbutt. 
as she has claimed. There was contact with our heads, with our foreheads, but it wasn't an intentional. He said, it's something that happens when you're trying to calm someone down who's in that state of mind. Oh, Johnny, you got to learn the proper restraint holds. Yeah, he was a man certified. Because you got to get low. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I mean, first of all, can you imagine, like, this is a this is a man like he's a manly Hollywood man who has is putting a trial front and center, basically saying he's been abused. Mm. Like there's a lot of uh, soul swallowing going on here for Johnny Depp. And again, I just feel like, oh, man, there's all this brokenness in this, because if what they if what he says is true, then Amber Heard has got some issues. Mm-hmm. Um, but oh, my goodness. Um, again, to another case of a much older man and a younger woman. And I'm not saying anything is anything here, but I think we've seen enough in this country in the last 10 years to know that generational differences are a big deal. Yeah, totally. They're a big deal. And there's more there than, than we want to give credit for. And especially there's more there on how I relate to just an everyday person, not someone I'm trying to spend the rest of my life with. Mm Mm-hmm. And so, like, you see these much younger women with these older men, and you're like, yeah, that's going to be hard. That's harder than you think it's going to be. Um, and I'm not saying it's all on Johnny Depp either. Clearly, Amber Heard wanted to be with Johnny. Mm-hmm. And why wouldn't you? You know, there's a there's a magnetic a magnetic thing that goes on with these movie stars. And Le- we talked about Leonardo DiCaprio being with a much younger lady. And, and it's not fair to just say, oh, it's all that's all on Leonardo. No, no, no. There are two adults there. Yeah. And she bears that responsibility, too. But I think what I'm saying is, is that generational thing, we don't think about that as much, but that's a thing. Yeah. You um, just, your worldview world is different. Even if you don't recognize it, it's different. Well, and especially now because, yeah. you know, it used to be the ba- the boomers weren't all that different from their parents, even though... In their yep. formative years, they they rebelled, right? Right. Um, but their lives weren't that much different. Now, from generation to generation, life is just changing so quickly, mm-hmm. yep. and so it's it's resulting in these generational differences that are abundantly Extremes. wide. Yeah. Um, and it's that's both fascinating to me and scary when I think about my children. Yeah. Because I have to continue to try to relate to them. It's hard. Mm-hmm. It's like I'm dealing with right now. I have a 14 year old. My oldest is 14 and she has a phone mm. and I'm trying to deal with this on one side. I'm like, I can't deny her because everyone has one. Mm. And it's the, it's the ultimate form of communication. Now everything runs through it. But at the same time, I see, I see the problems that come with it that I didn't have to deal with. I had enough problems on my own, yeah. but then I can't take my 14 year old out of the context, her context and put it in my context. Cause that doesn't work either. Uh-huh. Like, and what I'm, what I'm left with is like, no, we have to figure out how to exist in this context together. And she's going to have to figure out how to control her phone usage on her own because I can't stop that waterfall from happening. Eventually, she's going to have to learn to how to use this phone and it not let her not let it use her. Right. And it's hard. And so the generational thing just kind of screams at you with Mm. these this uh, Johnny Depp thing. I mean, Johnny Depp's 21 Jump Street. Amber Heard was probably not born when 21 Jump Street came out. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I 
so she's three years older than me, I believe. So Oh, she's older than I thought then. She was born in eighty six. Okay. Yeah, she was alive when twenty one uh, yeah. <laughs> she was probably alive when twenty one Jump Street came out. Mm, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not gonna look it up. It's not that important. <laughs> All right. Do we have anything else to say about Johnny and Amber no. Heard other mm-hmm. than um, we hope this ends in the best way possible? I mean, someone's going to lose some money here. Um, Both of them have lost something. Totally. Yeah. And no more pirates. Yeah. No more pirates. <laughs> no more pirates of the Caribbean probably is what this means. Although I could have said that about four movies ago. Yeah. If we're being honest, uh, I'd had enough after maybe two. Agree. Although the new Pirates has a, uh, is, is her name Nebula? I don't want. I don't uh, want to hear it. From Guardians, I never watched it. You watch Guardians of the Galaxy? Oh, I watched Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, I didn't watch the, the new Pirates. Movie. Oh, it hasn't. I haven't come watched out. the last it, few. It hasn't come out. What? Yet. They're making another one? Yes. Why? Because they have to reboot the franchise. Because Johnny Depp got they, into they do not have to reboot the franchise <laughs> as it turns out so they're making a movie not like a mini series like all everything they're, else. they're making a movie L- huh. let me just be really With clear Karen gillian let me just be really clear about pirates of the caribbean it is probably up there at number two right under fast and furious with i don't understand why there's so many movies because i could make a pretty good argument that they only made one good pirates of the caribbean and that was the first one everything everything since has been garbage yeah I wasn't anti two. I mean, but you weren't pro either. It was just kind of there, and then three is just terrible, and then after that, oh my goodness, it's just junk. Well, there was only one after it. Hey, but if it sells, if they make money, they're going to keep doing it. Yeah. Well, I mean, clearly it's Disney. Jerry, I'd rather go ride Mister Toad's Wild Ride. <laughs> I mean, like, where's the teacup ride? Anything else but Pirates of the Caribbean? I just don't understand it. It's it's right up there with Fast and the Furious for me. I'm like, man, the first movie was great. Everything after that, hot garbage. Family, <laughs> <laughs> and it always comes back to Fast and Furious. All right, we got to go out to the lobby. We're gonna go out to the lobby to get ourselves a snack and answer listener questions. We'll meet you out in the lobby right after this. It's time to answer listener questions. Cody, are you ready? Yeah, I was quoting the office as we were entering the lobby, but yeah, yeah I'm ready. It happens. It happens. Um, the office is very quotable. Uh, okay, let's start off with this question. Uh, Scott Patrick Dillon, what are some of your favorite college memories? <sighs> do you have some favorite college? Do you need? Do I need to go first? While you're I'll, thinking, I'll let you go first, and I'll I'll circle back. To um. Okay. So, oh, the college asking me my college memories is weird because I didn't. I went back to college later in life, 
Mm-hmm. So uh, I assume you're asking about like my early 20s years. Um, now, I was around a college because I actually worked at the University of Kansas's athletic department. I got a plum job there. And so one of the cool things about that was uh, I got to stand on the sideline at football games. Like, you know, not with the team, but down the sidelines a ways. And then also we got great seats at Allen Fieldhouse for all the basketball games. We would hold back a block of seats for the, the people that worked in the athletic department. And so like a lot, we, we would actually get to sit a lot behind the opposing, the visitor bench uh, for KU basketball games. And I remember going to every game and thinking that was a pretty good time in my life. That was a good time. Um, just randomly, uh, when I'm comparing that time of my life to this time of my life, you know what I really miss about being younger and college age type years? I really miss just going to a movie on my own spontaneously. Just oh, going yeah. to the theater for a matinee or something and going by myself to watch a movie. I miss the being able to do that. Those are legit. Mm. Yeah. Good one. I, I love my kids, but taking them to a movie is like a chore. They got to go to the bathroom like five times. They want refills on popcorn and drinks. And I'm just like, I get big ones so I don't have to get refills. And then I make it last because I'm not getting up. Or you just be the meanest dad ever and say, no one gets any snacks or beverages and you'll deal with it. Yeah, but then I don't enjoy the movie because they don't. Because they, they're not going to sit there silently. Anyways, going to the movies was fun by yourself. I miss that. <laughs> but I love my kids. Okay, so during your talk, I, I did think of a couple. Okay. Uh, so, like, I had a couple different friend groups cause in college just because I went to a JUCO first. And then I went to uh, a private Christian college. Um, but, uh, one of my friend groups early on in JUCO, they were all about pop culture. And so I watched a ton of movies I had never seen before. Uh, some older ones, some newer ones, um, some of those, uh, indie films and kind of developed a love of indie films. But through this friend group, I also got a job. Um, working at a mental health center in a PRG group with kids. And uh, through that, I actually got to fly a plane. Say what now? Wait, wait, whoa. Where'd that leap come from? So <laughs> One minute you're working with kids and the next minute you're flying planes? The, they would take field trips um, during the summer months because it was a longer program. And so... They went out to the airport and one of the flight students that was there who was working on becoming a flight instructor. It's like, I have to have so many hours with other people flying where I do the takeoff and the landing, but you guys do the flying. Would you like to go with me? And this was Brian, John and myself. And so we got to fly to Bartlesville and back, get some barbecue Wow, And then um, when I went on to uh, Kansas Wesleyan, it was it, super fun. I mean, Salina is kind of a hipster cowboy town. 
<laughs> it's so weird of a combination, but I had a lot of, of fun memories going to concerts, going to uh, comedy shows. Uh, I saw Brian Regan live. Um, <laughs> and then um, when I did the whole seminary thing, I met Ben Roethlisberger, but that wasn't because of college. So, <laughs> Also, uh, just a little tidbit, Salina, we're coming to your Comic-Con in July. Yeah, it's happening. We're we're going to Comic Con there in July, so uh, you can look for Pop Culture Pastor if you live in Salina. I don't know if anyone listening lives in Salina, but or the greater area of Salina. Uh, David Harrison says, "What would happen if Goku and Superman fought?" In y'all's opinion, I don't know. Who, I'm not into the anime. Uh, Who's Goku? Um, he has some sweet hair. <laughs> Yeah, like, um, unfortunately, I cannot answer this question, Dave, because I am not really into that. And does that make me old if I'm not into the anime? That's Dragon Ball, right? Um, it is Dragon Ball. You are correct. I had to make sure that I was not getting confused. Yeah. Um, I would lean... Mm. I'm I'm leaning soups, but if it's like any battle with Superman, sure enough, Goku would have like kryptonite underwear or something, and so there's there's a chance that Goku yeah. could pull it off. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, that's all you get because I have nothing to bring to that conversation. Um, Lauren Allen says, which Star Wars movie or series is your favorite? Do you prefer Star Wars in live action or animation? I've had to do some soul searching with the Star Wars stuff because um, when the prequels came out, I would have called myself a Star Wars super fan. Mm -hmm. uh, I loved Star Wars. And then the prequels are um, somewhat of a disappointment. Although if we're being fair, you know, a lot of that was unfair expectations. Oh, yeah. Not seeing the original trilogy for what it was, like building it into something different in my head and then grading the prequels by what was in my head, not what was actually on film. Uh, because the dialogue's not necessarily great in the original trilogy, but I would say when you've got Harrison Ford delivering it, it seems better. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely... Even though uh, those actors were young, yeah, they definitely proved to be tremendous talents. Mark Hamill's one of the greatest voice actors of his generation, for sure. Voice acting doesn't always translate into, into like real good yeah. acting, acting. Yeah. But and then you have Harrison Ford, who for a while had the highest-grossing films ever, and. I think he's been replaced by maybe Sam Jackson now, but mm -hmm. yeah. So Lauren, um, the prequels come out and I mean, there's good moments in some of those movies, but really overall, I'm just kind of mildly soured by star Wars. And then by the time the sequels come out, like look, the sequels, the most recent star Wars movies. Um, so basically, first of all, the prequels sour me on any of the animation stuff. I did not watch Clone Wars. I did not watch Rebels. I've been told that I should, that they're actually pretty good. And watching the new stuff in the TV series that have come out from uh, Filoni, 
who had a lot to do with Rebels has maybe prompted me to convince me to go back and watch some of those animated series. Um, but I didn't watch those. And so, and the prequels kind of sour me and then the sequels come out. And like, I think if we're being honest and fair with the sequels is like Lucasfilm can cut a trailer, man, boy, can they cut a trailer? But the execution of those movies was not great. No. Um, so for me, um, like movies that are, are not a part of the original trilogy, Rogue One might be my favorite. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie. Um, as far as series, um, Mandalorian. Yeah, yeah, and 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 it's what's crazy is that the sequels have a different problem than the than the prequels, whereas the prequels is just clunky script writing, clunky yeah. dialogue, but the story itself is actually pretty legit. It's pretty detailed. There's a lot of moving parts to it. Um, it would be the story in the sequels that is junk. And the, the dialogue's much better, but it doesn't really matter when your story doesn't make sense. And poor Ryan Johnson gets crucified. Yeah. While we give JJ all the breaks. Well, see, and it depends on the context, depends on who's who, what, who you're looking at it through. Because from the studio's point of view, Ryan Johnson's the bad guy because he went in and he did his own thing and he messed up the story they were trying to tell. But Ryan Johnson, from his point of view, is that's what you wanted me to do. You thought that that would work. And then when the fans didn't like all the choices I made, you like reacted too much to the fans and just erased kind of what I did. And that's why the story's so bad. Because you just ignored the second movie and a lot of the choices that were made. And I will still say it. I'll go back to Super 8. JJ can tell a good story up to a certain part. Mm. He doesn't always know how to end it. And, like, it gets wonky. Like, usually last quarter of the film. It doesn't make sense. I don't know why this happens. But it is J.J. Abrams through and through. Yeah. So the movies, um, the sequels, I don't like at all. They don't have any place in my heart, which makes me sad. The prequels have a small place in my heart, uh, but upon rewatching, which I've just recently done with my kids, um, Phantom Menace, if you take out the lightsaber battle at the end, which is probably the best lightsaber battle in the whole saga uh, with Darth Maul and Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan, if you take that out, it's not a very good movie, but it has moments. Um, The second one, Attack of the Clones, is garbage. Uh, from top to bottom. I assume that every scene that had Jar Jar in it, you loved. Uh, Jar Jar's hardly in the second one because people complained about Jar Jar. And then he's in the second one barely, but he's not the problem. The problem is the dialogue is just awful. The acting is awful. And like, look, it's not just people blamed um, uh, Hayden, Hayden Christensen. Christensen, but Natalie Portman's just as bad in it. And Natalie Portman is a good actress. So She's something, won the Oscars. Yeah, so the problem wasn't them. It's just a bad movie. The story's bad. Like, that whole romance is just weird. Yeah. Like, they make Anakin, it makes Anakin very stalkerish and obsessive, and it's just weird. It's just not very well written. And then Revenge of the Sith is okay, but mostly for reasons because we, we just waited a long time to see things we wanted to see. 
And even then, it's disappointing on some levels. But yeah. it, it was a step up from two, so we're like, oh, it's probably the best one of that series. So my favorite movies remain um, probably Empire and Return of the Jedi because they hit me in my wheelhouse. It has more to do with my age than anything else. Those movies hit me at the age where I'm a kid, and they just have a special place in my heart. Um, and then the TV series of the TV series, I think Mandalorian is probably my favorite. Boba Fett didn't didn't completely work for me, but it wasn't bad. So I will say, if we can get a Timothy Oliphant spinoff, oh yeah, I'm in. Take all my money. I'm here for anything Timothy Oliphant. Yeah, especially if it's like Western themed and this is a space Western. Yeah. So um, next question, maybe the last question here. What uh, this is from Joshua Jones, who lives in Georgia. Oh, hello, Joshua. Joshua. Good dude. Just had a baby. Congratulations, Joshua. Shout out. Woo, woo. OK, he <laughs> says, what comic book run is your all time favorite? Mine is Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo's Batman run a few years back, starting with the Court of Owls. Ooh, that's a good one. Okay, you're a Batman guy. Do you? Is that something you share? Um, no, oh, that's a good one. Yeah, I really can't argue that. <laughs> oh, now I, I'm I'm thinking. Um, I can share a couple of mine. Uh, mine are going to be, you know, largely 1980s. Uh, there was a Captain America run where he is the nomad. So by this time, John Walker, who we were introduced to in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, the MCU's version, has taken over as Captain America. Uh, Steve Walker has been, sh you know, gloriously, ungloriously shipped off of not able to be Captain America anymore. He's nomad. And during this run, there's a run of a villain named Scourge who basically his whole goal is he's assassinating villains. Um, and so in the Marvel universe, in this run, like just random, many random villains are murdered in this run. And like, like Spider-Man villains, like just some of the random ones. And some of the, there were some big names killed. Like, I want to say one of the major Sinister Six villains is killed. Maybe Electro, um, which I'm sure he was brought back <laughs> eventually. But it was a very interesting storyline because you're dealing with a different kind of villain. He's more of a, a vigilante and he's murdering villains. And you don't know how to feel about that because, like, they're bad dudes, but also he's a bad dude. Right. And then it's juxtaposed with this multi issue run of Captain America, Steve Rogers, dealing with the fact that he doesn't get to be Captain America anymore. And he's kind of on the move. He's on the run. You know, he's he's an enemy of the state in a lot of ways because he's still practicing superheroism, but as the nomad character instead of Captain America. Um, and it, so that was an interesting run. I liked that run. Um, also the other big run for me that I think about when I was a younger person, when I was a kid was Craven's last hunt, uh, from the Spider-Man series, which involved Craven, the hunter literally burying Spider-Man, Peter Parker alive and assuming the identity of Spider-Man. Um, Craven, it's important to note is, has absolutely lost his mind in this scenario and it was just such a heavy, like intense thing for a kid as a kid to read, <laughs> you know, comic books in general could be kind of silly, 
like the MCU, what they get right in the movies is that it's sometimes it can be kind of tongue in cheek and silly. And that really reminds me of the way comic books used to be written. Uh, But also they could tell these really intense stories like Craven's last hunt. And uh, that was, that one was, I mean, it was super intense. I mean, literally Peter Parker is buried alive in this time. Eek. Yeah, it was, it was nuts. It's like a six issue run, I think. Uh, but that's one of my favorites as well. Infinity Gauntlet, of course, would have been one of my absolute favorites, which is highly adapted into the whole Infinity run. Thanos, all of that. Uh, did you think of any of the comic book runs? Um, so I will go with almost anything by Frank Miller. Mm. I really like Frank. Yeah. <laughs> um, but his run with, uh, the dark Knight returns, mm-hmm. that was a good one. Um, where Batman kind of retires, but then, um, this is after Jason Todd dies. Spoiler. Spoiler. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, he comes back and like Gotham is out of control. And so he has to do that. Um, and then the nightfall run, and this is where you get Bane releasing all of Gotham's criminals and Batman having to run the gauntlet and then finding out who it is that's behind this. And like Batman's getting older, um, Azrael's in it, Robin's in it, and then Bane breaks the bat. Mm-hmm. Um, although the the further on it goes after that, it kind of teeters out. But like that initial, like once like Bane and Batman are there, oh, like drama galore. I love it. <laughs> I got full disclosure. Not a big Frank guy. You either like him or you don't. Yeah, I, I haven't heard anyone say, "Oh, he's okay." Weirdly enough, as because every lots of people love that Dark Knight Returns story, mm-hmm. which is kind of like an other world story, like it's an alternate reality type thing, right? Mm-hmm. Robin's a girl in it. <laughs> um, I wasn't a fan of that, but weirdly enough, I loved Three Hundred, the graphic novel Three Hundred. Yeah which was uh, by Frank Miller. It's about a fictional account of the Battle of Thermopylae, the Spartans. Um, and I loved that book. It, but I had a, because it was historical fiction is just the way to my heart because I'm a history guy. Yeah. And then there's this legend of this battle where 300 Spartans stand up to the Persian army and s- gloriously sacrifice themselves to stop them, you know. Uh, and then it's told through a, f- that sort of thing just was through the Frank Martin, Frank Miller, excuse me, lens was amazing. It was perfect. Yeah. And then when they made that into a movie to be told through the Zack Snyder lens was perfect. Perfection. Really anything Frank Miller does, if you wanted to let Zack Snyder direct it, I'd be all for it. Cause he, I think they line up pretty well. Yeah. Uh, but I, cause I love the movie too. I thought it was Zack Snyder's best. Um, I, I, you can't call Watchmen a run, I guess. Cause it was just, yeah, those yeah. amount of issues, although they've done some prequel things now. Um, yeah. but well, Watchmen was really good. Mm-hmm. The comics. I agree. Alan Moore. Yeah. 
Yeah. All right. That's a great question, by the way. Yeah. And I could have gone all day. There, there's lots of, I mean, uh, Thor's Ragnarok run in like the late yeah. 80s was good. Balder dying, you know, leading off to like this setting off in motion of all these events. Um, I really loved Thor. Um, the Thor run even more recently where he's unworthy. He, you know, cuts his hair and, you know. Like man, there's so many good runs out there. The the original Winter Soldier line, uh, I can't remember who did that for Captain America. But when Bucky comes back and the Winter Soldier, that's a great run. Um, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of good ones. It just depends on like a your favorite characters because Secret don't, Invasion's good. You don't always read the ones that. I was a sucker for the summer crossover. Yeah. There was so there's one that doesn't get much play because it was kind of weird, but it was called the Evolutionary War. And the main guy in it was the high evolutionary, who there's rumors we may meet in the next Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Um, but that one, I liked that one. And it was kind of deep for Marvel, especially for a summer crossover. Uh, there was the summer crossover event in the X books called Inferno that I really enjoyed. Um, yeah, just fall of the mutants, all of it. I was a sucker for those summer crossovers acts of vengeance where all the villains teamed up and then like decided, Hey, the problem is, is we're going against heroes that know us. So let's let, instead of Dr. Doom going up to the fantastic four, let him go after, you know, someone else like the X-Men. And instead of, you know, like Magneto going after the X-Men, he'll go after the Fantastic Four. So, like, they had this, like, I mean, it was just a thing. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I was a sucker for those summer crossovers. That was a good question, Josh, but we could be here all day. Uh, so let's just end it now. Uh, good questions. We got more questions uh, than we know what to do with. So we'll have to answer some you've already asked next time in the lobby. Right now, it's time for us to go back into the main theater and we're, we, we will talk about our main point this week. It's our very first episode with a Be Kind Rewind. This week, we're Be Kinding and Rewinding Wayne's World. It's the 30th anniversary of Wayne's World. Party on. Party on. We'll come back and party on uh, in just a moment. <laughs> All right, welcome back. It's time for our very first Be Kind Rewind. This is going to be a, a, a podcast subject that when we do a Be Kind Rewind, we're going to go back and watch an old movie. Going back in time. Going back and to just talk about it and kind of revisit some things that came from it. Um, the first one we're doing, it's the 30th anniversary of Wayne's World. Uh, now, Wayne's World is based on a Saturday Night Live skit and uh, comes out in 1992, and it makes great money. Uh, it's released on Valentine's Day in 1992, and you have to understand where, to understand the success of this movie, I feel like we have to set up a little bit um, what this is coming out of. So, first of all, there's only been one Saturday Night Live movie at this point, right? 
that was the Blues, Blues Brothers, Brothers. Yeah. Uh, with uh, Dan Aykroyd and um, John Belushi. I nearly said Jim, and then I would have felt gross about it. Yeah, so. it wasn't Jim. It was John. And Blues Brothers is is a cult classic. It's successful, but not in a like monetary sense. Uh, but it's successful in that it's a beloved movie over time. And I think the belovedness of that movie is they they stay true to this idea of like who they are as the characters. Like it's a gloriously strange movie is the Blues Brothers. Mm-hmm. And I actually think there's a lot of similarities with Wayne's World in that this is just a movie that they decide we're just going to make this movie about these kids in Aurora, Illinois, who just like to have fun. And I think that's why it works. Because it's gloriously beholden to the characters. Yeah. And it's not a too far out concept. Yeah. The, like two kids having a public access show in their parents' basement. Yeah. Unfortunately, the public access part does not. Like, kids watching it today are not going to understand that. But imagine it's YouTube, that they're YouTubers yeah. instead. Um, public access was just, like, you could just get on the air on public access and make your own show. It was sort of YouTube for back in the day. But you actually had to go to, like, a studio. But instead, what these guys did was broadcast it through public access from their basement, their parents' basement <laughs> that was the whole conceit of the the skit um saturday night live at this time um just before this time like in the late 80s it has this like glorious resurgence that's predicated on just getting all of this talent at once mm-hmm. uh, and mike myers and dana carvey are kind of the leaders of this charge um and this so to just let you in on what it was like in like 88, 89, when I was in middle school, you would come to school on Monday and lunchroom was all about talking about, man, did you see Saturday Night Live this weekend? It was unbelievable. And Wayne's World, you just talk about these skits and Wayne's World was a popular skit. That was one of the favorites. And it was just so like my my 14 year old daughter is completely lost on her. She doesn't get it. Mm-hmm. Not a fan of this movie. <laughs> Not a fan of the skits. She's just like sitting there going, I don't understand. I don't get it. So there's something generational to it. And also, like, I feel like growing up around that time, you knew someone that was kind of like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, just in the characters alone. So Wayne, uh, Michael, Mike Myers character is based on like people he knew and maybe a little bit on himself and Garth, um, Dana Carvey has said is based largely on his older brother who was into like these hair metal bands, (laughs) but was this quiet, reserved, shy dude who like Garth, um, and we'll get into this a little later because there was some friction between Dana Carvey and Mike Myers during the filming of this. Um, Michael Garth is a wonderfully fleshed out character in the movie of like, and he's like, he's great. Like his character is amazing and you fall in love with Garth. Yeah. Because he's got like this. So he's like into the heavy metal and hair band. You get a certain vision in your head when you think of someone who's into that. And then you're, you're confronted with Garth Algar. Who's like this sweet, mild mannered, quiet guy. (laughs) Um, And it's just a wonderful like juxtaposition. 
Um, so Wayne's World comes at this time when Saturday Night Live is probably at its peak. I will say that, yeah. You got the late 80s into the early 90s. Mm-hmm. And then I will say there's several years that I thought Mad TV was way better than Saturday Night Live. Yeah. And you can cut both programs out. Well, depends on when we're talking about because Mad TV was on for a while. Mm-hmm. And I definitely think there's a point when Saturday Night Live is big, and but then they start leaving for movies, which we'll, we'll talk about that later too. But, um, you know, when Sandler leaves and you had Chris Rock and he's leaves and David Spade and all these dudes who are going on to other things, then you have this crowd for a while that's like, you know, maybe the best skit is the superstar lady. <laughs> you, and then, yeah, I'm like with you. I'm like, yeah, Mad TV at that time was probably better. Yeah. Um, but man, there was a while there with Farley and those guys where, I mean, Saturday Night Live, you just couldn't touch it. Well, those guys left or got fired. <laughs> okay, so let's start with Wayne's World. Wayne's World, you were, you're, if you've never seen Wayne's World, first of all, it's just a silly movie and I highly recommend it. Oh, growing up, it was on Comedy Central all the time. Like that. So, what Rocky was to TBS. Wayne's World felt like it was for Comedy Central that, oh, this is our Saturday movie of the day. And so, like, it'd just be on every Saturday. Yeah. I don't know what this was rated, but I would call it PG-13. Um, like, I'd have no problem letting my 14-year-old watch this and just being able to talk talk her through it a couple parts. I think there's, like, a couple curse words, and but they're all in the same scene. And they're played for comedy. Um, like they're, they go to the, a rock club and it's actually the meatloaf cameo. Yes. And the meatloaf, meatloaf, the meatloaf, meatloaf says, Oh, uh, later on the, the poopy beetles, except he doesn't say poopy, the yeah. poopy beetles are playing. And Mike, Mike Meyer says, Oh, do they suck? And he's like, or he's like, Oh, is it, he says, are they really poopy or is it just a clever name? And, and meatloaf <laughs> is like, Oh, they suck. <laughs> And so, like, it's played for laughs, so I appreciated that. Um, also, there's, you know, a scene where uh, Wayne and, and uh, Cassandra, his girl, are in bed, and Wayne's wearing underwear, tidy whities And it's, again, played for laughs while the message gratuitous sex scene is flashed yeah. at the bottom of the screen. G- obviously, there's nothing there that's really gratuitous. It's just meant to be a joke. Um, they... I, I love the amount of breaking the fourth wall that they do in this movie. Yeah. Well, it's really kind of one of the first mainstream movies that does that. Now it's like everyone does Deadpool. Like mm-hmm. everyone does this thing now. The Office TV show was a big doer of breaking the Jim wall. does that all the time. Yeah. But people don't remember that Wayne's World was a big instigator in that. And Wayne's World actually, while we bring up The Office... We should tell you that Michael Scott's catchphrase, that's what she said, is not actually a Michael Scott catchphrase. It's a Wayne Campbell catchphrase. Um, He literally says in this movie, Shaw, that's what she said. (laughs) Literally, I found myself saying, well, Michael Scott says this and Michael Scott says that. And there's a couple of scenes where I'm like, oh, Mike stealing from Mike. And this movie is like, if nothing else, if you knew nothing about this movie and you just watched it, 
you would notice some of the phrases, the catchphrase. This movie is one of the most quoted movies through the latter half of the 20th century or the latter portion mm-hmm. of the 20th century and into the 21st century. I mean, you'll still hear old people <laughs> quote this movie, not. <laughs> I mean, just the amount of influence this has on our culture, Wayne's World, is is amazing. Um, um, I so upon rewatching it because I probably have not seen it since I've been married and I've been married seven years. Um, so it had been a while. Um, I completely forgot how early on some of the most iconic scenes of the movie are mm-hmm. like when they're singing Queen Bohemian oh. Rhapsody. That's fairly early in the movie. Like yeah. for some reason in my head, I had it like in the middle. Nope. Yeah. So the movie starts off uh, with you going right to the basement and they're in the middle of filming their public access television show. That's when they have the suck cut guy. on. Yes. Yeah, suck cut. So, so what they would do is they would always have this guest on and sometimes he'd have like, they'd have like this ridiculous invention they were trying to pawn off. But this dude's like, well, I have the suck cut. As you can see, it sucks while it cuts. And, you know, of course, Wayne is like, it certainly does suck. <laughs> and, then, you know, he's cutting Garth's hair. It's like, okay, man, but just trim. <laughs> it's like from the first scene, you get like this wonderful Wayne's World kind of vibe that made it so funny as a skit. Um, and then like, you know, uh, he introduces himself basically. So the show ends, you get Mike Myers as Wayne Campbell saying, hello, I'm Wayne Campbell. I'm from Aurora, Illinois. Excellent. And he's like, the best part about Wayne is he's so relatable. So he takes you by a board of hairnets and name tags yes. from all the Joe jobs, quote unquote, he's had. And you immediately, you identify with this dude. I, again, the Wayne's World characters, like I wasn't into heavy metal and rock like that, but I knew people that were, and it just so perfectly encapsulate these people in a way where they're not like hardcore head banging dudes. Like they're, they're regular Joes, regular dudes. And, um, part of the, the thing I loved about the movie is that they're good dudes, right? Yeah. Um, like, it's funny when they do have their quote-unquote falling out during the movie. It's while an airplane's going over, and, like, Garth, who's been quiet this whole time, it l- looks like he's getting really animated, but you can't hear a word he's saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, like, even when they're, he's maybe saying something, you know he says something bad because it's played for laugh. The plane goes over. You can't hear what he's saying. And then Wayne is like, you kiss your mother with that mouth. (laughs) (laughs) I can't, who are you? You (laughs) So, you know, he's apparently said something pretty bad to Wayne. Um, Man, I appreciated the comedy of this movie so much. It, It made me wistful to watch this movie again, because it really was, Like, even though there's a couple curse words played for laugh, even though there's an intimate scene played for laughs with uh, with Wayne and Cassandra, where they're in bed together, although they're clothed, you know, um, the innocence of it, it was like I just felt really nostalgic for it because the 80s was like that. 
Like there were movies we watched as kids that, yeah, had curse words in it, but the innocence, there was an innocence to it that we don't have anymore. And one of the things I'd explain here is like these dudes were going to, so these are supposed to be high school kids, first of all. That's part of the hilarity is that 30 some year old Dana Carvey is wearing like a rock feathered wig and he's a high school kid named Garth. Right. Um, part of the what I love about this movie that I had never noticed before is these, these guys are all about going out and having fun. And there is never, never any specific reference to them drinking or doing any drugs. The only reference you get is one of their friends, one of the members of their friends group clearly is they find him inebriated and they, they don't shame him, but it's played for like, dude, you're partied out again. Yeah. And they, they like chastise him for it. And it's so, I really appreciated that. Like this movie, these guys are all about having fun and they're going to rock clubs and you see some beverages, but that's not what they're about. Yeah. And I was really, I really kind of didn't ever notice that before. And I was rewatching it. I was like, hey, this is all right. This yeah. is awesome. Rob Lowe like shared champagne with them and uh, they didn't know anything about champagne. <laughs> they're very uncultured. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and that's part of the joke, but it just makes them the innocence factor of Wayne and Garth. Are are at a high level. He better not spew in my car. Oh, so yeah. So the that first scene where it's actually in the middle of the Bohemian Rhapsody scene, scene. Mm -hmm. they find their friend who is quote unquote partied out. Like you're partied out again, man. And 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 Garth immediately goes like, Hey, what if he what if he vomits in my car? And Wayne's like, I I'm giving you a no honk guarantee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of course they use all these words and and that's the famous scene where garth ha pulls out the pixie cup <laughs> the dixie cup and he's like if you're gonna spew spew into this <laughs> part of the ongoing joke of wayne's world was all the words they could use as a synonym for vomiting because <laughs> later on it's revisited in the scene where garth uh Ask Wayne, like, what happens if every time you see this certain girl, you feel like you're gonna, you're gonna throw up? And he's like, I say, blow chunks. If you, if he, he uses another, another word. If he's like, if you Ralph and she stays, it was meant to be. But if you blow whatever, blow chunks and she bolts, it was, it wasn't meant to be. You know, so they're constantly using synonyms for for throwing up, which I found hilarious. Oh yeah. Um. So, yeah, the conceit is of the movie uh, is that these two kind of lovable idiots basically have this public access show and that Rob Lowe is the, you know, which he's so good at playing like the evil uh, guy who's in it for the money decides he's going to come kind of exploit them, take their show, sell it um, and make it into something that erases the charm from it. And just drain them, drain it for money. Um, I will say, watching it, I couldn't help but think back to Parks and Rec because mm -hmm. it's just a slight shift from being Chris Traeger to being his character in Wayne's World because mm -hmm. he's spewing out like positive, uplifting things like, oh, yeah, I know a lot of guys that really love 
uh, your show, you guys are the best. I record it all the time. And like, and he's doing these positive reaffirming things, and he at one point says, "Literally," and I'm like, <laughs> oh, "Chris Traeger." <laughs> so one of the cool things about this is Rob Lowe. This is going to sound weird because now you'd be like, "Why was that a scandal?" But Rob Lowe goes through this scandal. He's a member of the Brat Pack, which was like the young group of actors who were the next big thing in the 80s. And then he gets through this scandal, which essentially was like a sex tape. Essentially, which I don't know even know why. Maybe I didn't understand it fully because I was a kid. But man, like his career hits the skids. Like he's not getting, he's done. And then it's this movie that's kind of the rebirth of Rob Lowe. And part of that character he plays, Benjamin, who like one of the <laughs> best lines is like Garth saying, if Benjamin were an ice cream flavor, he'd be pralines and dick, <laughs> which is like a British. Anyways, <laughs> it, it's hilarious. But like part of the, the thing about the, his character is that he's kind of making fun of himself, that Rob Lowe was seen as like a very smarmy young Hollywood kid who was using his looks to get by and he makes fun of that himself. And it like, it really relaunches Rob Lowe's career in a way because then he's in Tommy boy mm -hmm. after this movie. And again, he gets to play the smarmy like Rob Lowe before this was not smart. He was not the smarmy guy, but in this movie and in Tommy boy, he kind of makes fun of his image in a way where he is the smarmy slick. I'm trying to fake, fake you out kind of guy. And it, it just works. And then it leads into, you know, the Rob Lowe we have now, which is great. Yeah. And in parks and rec. Uh, but this is really the start of it. There's really, and there's some stuff we'll get to later where this is the start of a lot of things, this movie. Um, but so, so Rob Lowe's trying to steal basically their show, steal Wayne's girlfriend who we meet. He becomes her girlfriend in the movie because Cassandra played by Tia Carrera, who's like out of nowhere in this movie, she becomes a, a huge deal because one, she's super attractive Two, she does all her own singing in this movie as like a heavy metal rock chick. So she's got the double whammy of being a heavy metal rock chick and being super hot. And so she's just an instant thing after this movie. She makes a pretty good career after this. Yeah. And it's because of this movie where they hired her as an unknown. Um. Anyways, that's the whole conceit of the movie is that uh, he's fighting, Wayne's fighting to win his friend back because him and Garth have problems <laughs> and his girlfriend back and try to beat the underhanded Benjamin played by Rob Lowe. Oh, Benjamin. It's, it's not an exotic plot. It's pretty no. simple. <laughs> Although it's funny, like you get introduced to all these like random side characters oh. and they all love Wayne. Oh, <laughs> Let's let's talk about his ex girlfriend for a minute. Stacy played wonderfully by Lara Flynn Boyle. Yeah, it, like it's funny because I think most people have been there. Like whether you're a girl or a guy, you've had that ex person you dated who just held on a little too long when it was clearly over. And so Wayne has this in the form of Stacy, <laughs> who they're they're kind of making fun of, but it results in this great scene in Stan Makita's donut shop, <laughs> where she comes up to him and she gives him a gift 
for his birthday, she's wearing a Wayne necklace and she unwraps it and it's, it's a gun rack. What am I going to do with a gun rack? I don't even own a gun, let alone <laughs> mini guns that would necessitate an entire rack. <laughs> it's so, we still, my wife and I still quote that scene. It's a gun rack. <laughs> and, and she says, you know, Wayne, if you're not careful, you're going to lose me. He's like, I did lose you four weeks ago. Catch the net. <laughs> Classic scene. And like throughout the whole movie, she just keeps appearing kind of like in uh, Better Off Dead, the newspaper boy. Mm -hmm. Just yeah. constantly like. She keeps popping up. Yeah. Uh huh. She pops up. They're playing hockey. She's riding by and I'm buying. Hi, Wayne. Hi. And then like wrecks into a car <laughs> badly. <laughs> like you see it the first time and you're like, oh. <laughs> um, she falls through the skyline. Uh huh. The skylight. Yeah. yeah. She falls through, like, she, like, died. <laughs> but she lands on a couch behind their partied-out friend. Yeah. Um, yeah, at a rock show. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, the side characters, you're absolutely right. The um, police officer that they make pig jokes to. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, he talks about having to do cavity searches. searches. <laughs> um, uh, one of the best side characters in the show is uh, Al Bundy. Yes, uh, who's that's not his real name, of course. It's uh, Ed O'Neill, mm -hmm. and he plays Glenn, the manager of Makita's Donut Shop. <laughs> I laughed anytime he opened his mouth. So Penelope, Penelope Spheris, who's the director of that movie, in like the 30th anniversary interview she did, said that he was so hilarious because during breaks in the filming, he never broke character, and he would just sit there and say psychotic things <laughs> in the character of Glenn. And if you've seen the movie, you know, like the cameras always, they're always breaking the fourth wall, but the camera's usually on Wayne. And then the moment we're introduced to the donut shop, the camera sticks on Glenn and he's like, why is it when you kill a man in battle, they call it heroic, but when you kill a man in the heat of passion, they call it a murder. <laughs> and Wayne jumps back. He's like, hello. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. The camera only, we, we're the only ones that get to talk to the camera. <laughs> um, when the guy gets laid off from work and he is, then breaks down like, you probably want to kill yeah. him. He's like, he's like, you know what I'd like to do? And, and Glenn's <laughs> like, yeah, I know what you'd like to do. You'd like to go down. <laughs> and he's like, no, no, I thought about filing a grievance with the union. <laughs> he's like, well, the world works we in weird ways. <laughs> oh, so good. So good. A lot of the side characters. Uh, in that movie, of course, we mentioned Meatloaf cameos. Chris Farley. I forgot Farley was in it. Yeah, he's a security guard. And he, he gets to deliver some important information. Like, it's totally <laughs> benefiting the script later on. <laughs> um, she talked about Penelope uh, Spheris, the director, talked about Farley. And that was uh, totally the idea of uh, the head of Saturday Night Live who was um, Lauren, Lauren Michaels. And Lauren said, Hey, I got this guy named Chris Farley. You could use as the security card character, but you got to be careful of him. He's very shy and you're going to have to just be like kind with him. Cause he doesn't like cameras. Like, so this is Chris Farley at the beginning and like that shyness 
it's part of the reason everyone loved Chris Farley. But like, I think, you know, he had an anxiety that we level that we didn't even realize mm-hmm. that like reading the account of this 30th anniversary interview, she did the director. It was like, Oh wow. Wow. Like they had to get him used to being in front of a camera. And that was Lauren actually trying to get him practice. So Farley hadn't been on Saturday Night Live very long at all by the time he's in this little cameo piece in Wayne's World. Um, but that was really interesting to me. Um, let's see. Other. Obviously, he wins the day. There's several cameos in it. Alice Cooper playing yeah, himself. But like knows everything about Milwaukee. <laughs> It's like yeah, the the uh, the the whatever tribe referred to it as Milwaukee. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's played for laughs, which was a staple of the Wayne's World skits. So there was a Wayne's World skit where Aerosmith was on, and they start talking about like communism and like just busting it down with all these big words, and it's meant to be, and, it's, and it is hilarious. Um, We're not worthy. <laughs> uh, Robert Patrick playing his character from the Terminator movies, the T 1000 yeah. makes a cameo. Ione sky is in it. She's the girl with Benjamin at the very beginning when he's first seeing, um, the, the Wayne's world public access show meatloaf who we mentioned, uh, Brian Doyle Murray, Bill Murray's yes. brother is a big part of the movie. He's the owner of the arcade. That is the sponsor of the new Wayne's world. Um, the no flying, one's arcade, the flying Dutchman, <laughs> for our spongebob friends oh there you go yeah um old man withers is blue from old school (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah there's just tons of little side characters that were wonderful in this movie um i already talked about the lack of alcohol and drugs which i thought was great Mm mm-hmm Let's talk about, well, let's get into the, the subjects we do when we talk about movies um, on the podcast. Let's just get right into that. And let's just, Cody, give me, give me your take on the movie. I'm really interested to hear your bottom line on the movie as someone who didn't, like, this didn't hit you in your wheelhouse at a certain age. You had to go back and discover this. Um, so, yeah, like. Growing up, it was on, and but if it was on, my dad would watch if nothing else was on. So it wasn't like a family favorite movie. Mm-hmm. And as I got older, it, like for some reason, I would always miss when Wayne's World One would come on, and I would see Wayne's World Two. So like I had combined the two movies. <laughs> yeah, and Wayne's World Two is not as good. It's it not. Does, it's missing that charm. And, and it's it, just weirder. Well, and they do like a lot of parody of the doors mm-hmm. in Wayne's World too. Yeah. <laughs> um, which again, trippiness. But I really loved it. Um especially rewatching it now. Um the the scene that like I immediately just started cackling at was when he's going through his extensive collection of name tags and <laughs> hair nets and i'm like oh this is awesome and um again there's so many iconic scenes that happen in the movie um even when they recreate the laverne and shirley uh opening credits 
when they go to Milwaukee to see Alice Cooper. And they're like, oh, what are we doing? (laughs) (laughs) There's so many wonderful little, like, I love that they understood that the appeal of Saturday Night Live and the appeal of Wayne's World is these sketches. And so that there's these little vignettes in the movie that fit in, but don't distract, but are funny. Like, there's a little scene um, when Benjamin, one of my favorite scenes is when Benjamin's trying to tell them why they have to have Noah the Noah's arcade spot on the show because he's the sponsor and it launches into this where Wayne's like, like, he's eating this pizza hut pizza and he's showing the box. He's like, well, that's where I just disagree that we don't have to do these things <laughs> just for money. Like, Garth, what do you think? And Garth is sitting there for like <laughs> head to toe in Reebok Luck. here. He's got like the hat and the headband. He's like, yeah, it's just like people only do things for money. That's just really sad. <laughs> and so that was funny. It ends with like um, a Nuprin joke, which yeah. little yellow, different. And the, the commercials were all black and white with the pill and the <laughs> hand being yellow. And so they even play that joke. Uh, so those kind of scenes are, are just amazing. Oh, yeah. And um, another thing that really stood out to me. So when he... Uh, finally starts talking with Cassandra and they um, start speaking Cantonese back and forth. (laughs) And he makes a Kierkegaard reference. (laughs) And I'm like, ooh, you are hitting my inner philosophy wheelhouse. Was it Kierkegaard or was it Dick Van Patten? Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, oh my goodness. Like, there's so many pop culture references in the movie and then there's so many like highly intellectual references that are happening and are just played for laughs um and then the randomness like when they're talking about bugs bunny in a dress (laughs) (laughs) yeah okay so they're sitting like one of the things they do for fun is to go out to this near this airport and they park their car and they sit on the hood and look up and wait for the plane to go over. And yeah, while they're waiting, they have this conversation. Hey, do you remember when Bugs Bunny would dress up as a girl bunny? Did that ever, did, were you ever attracted to him when he dressed up as the girl bunny? And Wayne goes, no. And then they start laughing. He's <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> but then like the, the last takeaway I'll have, is the song selection is like very random, especially when she's trying to win the contract with their last ditch effort and they play ballroom blitz. I'm like, is that the song you go with? (laughs) Like you're trying to impress a record executive and we go with the ballroom blitz. Yeah. Yeah. It was, well, I loved the soundtrack. Oh, the music's phenomenal. I wore out that CD when I had it, listening to that soundtrack, um, and I loved it. Uh, so the music's great in it. And I love that she did all her own singing in that movie, mm-hmm. Tia Carrera, who, again, was just some unknown. Uh, part of the reason she got hired was she went in and they asked whoever, they wanted whoever to get the part to be an actress that could sing. They asked her to sing a Pat Benatar song, Hit Me With Your Best Shot. To which I would love to see the video of that if there was some, because I bet she was awesome. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, they couldn't have picked a better a better person for that than Tia Carrera, who just killed it. Killed it. 
Um, I think, yeah, we mentioned all my favorite scenes, too. Oh, there was the great Poupon scene when they pull up uh-huh. to the guy that is in the fancy car. Let's let's talk about the Bohemian uh, Rhapsody scene for a second. Classic. Uh, because the Bohemian Rhapsody scene is 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 very interesting in that that was a song. That's first of all, that's a classic moment that mm. transcends the film. Um, but you have to understand that that song um, Queen was kind of low in popularity at that point. So uh, Queen had kind of disappeared. Freddie Mercury was sick and Queen stopped touring and they just were kind of like a late 70s, early 80s thing at that point in everyone's memory. And actually Mike Myers really fought for Bohemian Rhapsody being used in that scene because he did that as a, as a, with his group of friends as, as a high schooler. They would jam out to Bohemian Rhapsody. Lorne Michaels wanted them to switch to a Guns N' Roses song because Guns N' Roses was it at the time. Um, way to stick to your guns, yeah. Michael. Mike Myers wins out in this argument, and the rest is history because when this movie comes out, Bohemian Rhapsody shoots back up to number two in the charts, higher than it had been when it came out originally. And Queen now enjoys this status as this great band, which they always should have been. Mm-hmm. Um, but now they enjoy this status and they owe a lot to this movie and this scene of Wayne and his friends jamming out to Bohemian Rhapsody. And I can remember playing this song at loud volumes and headbanging in cars, just like Wayne and the fellas. And like, that's, I mean, this is just, I, that scene is iconic an iconic scene. And it's been recreated in commercials and TV shows and like, yeah, it, it, it has transcended its movie side story. I once got in trouble as a youth pastor for listening to that song in the presence of my youth group. And some parents went to the pastor and told the pastor that it was a song about devil worship. Oh. And I had to go in and say, um, actually, no, it's not. It's about it's a song about a guy who's committed a crime of passion. And he's literally wondering if he can be redeemed. Like, it's very David-like, King David-like. He's wondering if there's redemption for him that he's done this terrible thing in the, in the heat of passion. And, and it's literally the back and forth of the song is imagine the, the angel and the devil on the shoulders. That's, that's the song when it's going back and forth. Yeah. That's literally what's happening. And so when I explained that to the pastor, he was like, oh. And it's like an opera. Yeah. It's a very human struggle. It's a song about a human struggle. Can we be redeemed? Because in, the, in humanity, the answer should be no. But in God, the answer is always yes. Nothing really matters. Anyone me. can see. Nothing really matters. <laughs> um, yeah. Great scene. Great, great scene. Has to be one of the favorites anytime you bring up this movie. Are there any scenes that could have been better? Were there, was there anything cringy about it that doesn't hold up? So watching it, I feel like you can't. So I had mixed feelings about if it could be remade again. Mm-hmm. Because at one moment, there's they do the swing. Uh, whenever uh, <laughs> there's an attractive lady and there's some cat calling and like that's a no-no these days. But then in the scene where he's speaking Cantonese, um, yeah, 
he's speaking Cantonese uh, with Cassandra, uh, and they're talking about Stacy, mm-hmm. and he blames Re- refers to her as the psycho hose beast. Yes, <laughs> but like uh, in one part, he says, "I feel partially to blame for the w- w- way she is," and so like he's kind of addressing toxic masculinity mm-hmm. in that scene. Yeah, and so I'm like. I don't know if you can fully remake this. I think, like, oh man, that catchphrase is gone. What I love about the comedy in this movie is the innocence of it. Like he, even in that scene that you're talking about, he's taking responsibility for the way she's acting. Yeah, and in a funny way, um, you would need to. There would be updating that needs to happen. We've already talked about it. Like they would need to be YouTubers rather than public access mm-hmm. guys. Um, and some of the jokes we've talked about, like Nuprin. Like, nobody would get that. The great Poupon joke, you had to be alive in the 80s or 90s to fully yeah. appreciate that. Um, and then probably the most problematic stuff is, yeah, they're rating women on their babitude. Yeah. <laughs> Often. That was kind of a running joke on the Wayne's World skits, although less of it in the movie. movie. Although, yeah. uh, Abraham Lincoln... He does. He does use um, a, a bit of it to calm Garth down when he's getting agitated. He's like, "Okay, you're on a beach with Heather Locklear." Locklear. He's like, "With Heather," <laughs> <laughs> and so it's used a little bit there, but mostly like, I, man, I feel like the comedy in this movie. This should be the movie we hold up when we say, like last week's pod is comedy dead. This is what we can hold up and say no. Like, you could still make this movie today. There'd be minor tweaks. Yeah, it wouldn't be substantial. Uh, But there's not a lot of, like, for this era, there's no, like, homophobic jokes. No. For this era, that's strange. Like, because in this era, I mean, that was played for laughs a lot, especially with a a show about dudes. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And and dudes as close as Wayne and Garth. Like, that would have been played for laughs in other movies. I don't know... You couldn't say that's totally mental, man, which they do say. Again, it's a minor tweak, but uh, yeah, minor, minor tweak. I'm I'm saying by and large, this movie is still funny without being cringy. I couldn't think of any scenes. Maybe the scene where they're making fun of like Cantonese. Mm-hmm. So like he says like a few words and then it just keeps rattling the subtitles and they look bored on the screen where they're kind of making fun of the language, I guess maybe somebody would be offended by that. But for the most part, I couldn't think of anything really cringy. Like the end felt like maybe they didn't really have an end and they're like, Oh, let's (laughs) throw out everything and see what sticks. But I think that was the funny part of it is that there were no rules. It was just a a fun movie. Uh, The we got spirit award which is usually the time where we talk about, did this movie have biblical references or illusions or themes? Absolutely not. Uh, (laughs) This Mm. movie is too empty to have anything that heavy, and it's supposed to be empty and fun. Although we've already discussed, I think there's some good moral things going on here. These guys have fun without alcohol, without drugs. Like the fun is through their togetherness. Yeah. And in this, like... There's not really a great betrayal or anything. Even no. when they're fighting, it was, well, Wayne walked out and Garth had to carry a show by himself. 
Yeah, Wayne feels sorry for himself. Yeah. Um, There's no, like, we usually do something called the Greatest Story Ever Told Award, which is did any of the characters in the movie follow a Jesus-like path or possess Jesus-like attributes? I think in Wayne's World 2, you might be able to find those just because they do, like, this weird hippie Jim Morrison, like, storyline. <laughs> but um, yeah, this, this one, no. It's not that deep. No. Mm-hmm. It just, it, it's not that deep, and it's supposed to be not that deep. But I will reiterate again, just because it's not deep doesn't mean it doesn't have some great, great things in it that are good. And I keep coming back to it, but man, I just, I don't know if we realized how abnormal for a movie to come out late eighties, early nineties about young party loving. I mean, literally the party on is the catchphrase and there's just none. There's no drinking Um, and there's no, there's no drugs. Like Garth has a drink at the contract meeting, Mm -hmm. but even it's played for laughs. Like he spits something out into it. Like it's just there as a prop. Um, so man, I really appreciate that, that these are young adults basically and they're partying and having a good time. And it's not all about substances. Uh, so that was great. Um, the winner of the movie, now this was interesting. Who, who, who gives like, is it, is it, we could, we could say you can identify, you could define this however you want. Who puts in the best performance, although performance is a relative term here. Um, I'll I'll go ahead and go first. Okay. I think the winner of this movie is Saturday Night Live cast members. Because this movie really... So this movie makes a hundred and some million at the box office. It's a huge hit. It makes $183 million. Cost $20 million to make. So it made $160 million. Um, it's, it's still got an 80% on Rotten Tomatoes. It was kind of like universally beloved for a movie based on a skit show that's just kind of a goof. And it's still kind of beloved. And this movie really opens the door for the glut of Saturday Night Live cast member movies. Oh, they made a superstar movie. Oh, uh, they made a superstar movie. They made Night at the Roxbury's. And it opens the door for them. So they get to, I mean, Will Ferrell probably isn't someone we know about if not for this movie. Um, Adam Sandler. So Billy Madison. It really opens the door to make these movies for these cast members that are like super unique and aren't beholden to the same movie making process as other movies. So Billy Madison's very absurd. And, and it's Adam Sandler's style. Uh, same with Happy Gilmore. Tommy Boy comes out and it's very Chris Farley. Like he's a man child, but sweet, you know, like it, and it, but, but those movies are highly successful cult classic movies. Yeah. Um, for me, I'm still going to go with Mike Myers yeah. as being can, the winner. Cause you can't that, argue with that. Without that, I don't know if you get like the Austin Powers movies no. or anything else. Well, this like, is Mike's first movie. Yeah. And this is f- followed closely by So I Married an Axe Murderer, which is kind of a cult favorite. Um, doesn't doesn't do as well as this one at the box office, but I know a lot of people that absolutely it's like one of their favorite movies of all time. Um, and then of course, yeah, he goes on to do 
the Austin Powers movies, which he doesn't get to do if not for the success of Wayne's World. And it be- really has become one of our major like comedic stars of the last 30 years. Um, it is weird, though, that like between the two of them, I think Dana had a way better Saturday Night Live career. And like after he attempts to have a late night show, he disappears. Well, it's interesting because they didn't get along very well in the making of this. There was apparently a feud between Dana Carvey and Mike Myers. And it was because on Saturday Night Live, Dana Carvey was just fine being this cardboard character of Garth, who was just kind of a sit-in character not to be developed. But for the movie... Dana and Mike Myers had problems because Dana would bring up these suggestions to flesh out the character of Garth. Simple things like the licorice dispenser in the Mirthmobile, right? Yeah. That was Dana Carvey's idea, and he actually had to fight for it. Like, Mike Myers didn't want that to happen. And and Dana Carvey threatened to walk off the set and walk off the movie before they even started filming. And so he allowed in these scenes. And I would say... That the the character building moments for Garth in this movie are some of the sweetest parts of the movie that actually work. Like Garth is a great character, and it's probably because Dana fought so hard. And, it, and to be fair to Mike Myers, this is his first movie, and this is a character he'd already created by the time he got to Saturday Night Live. Yeah, and it was all about Wayne Campbell. Garth is added on at Saturday Night Live at the behest of Lord Michaels. Because he felt like if he had a sidekick, it would be more interesting. And he was right. And Dana Carvey was right by like, hey, you should let us flesh out Garth's character. Because he's an awesome character. And he was right. And it, this, like, they all had to mesh together to f- make this perfect storm of a great movie in Wayne's World. Yeah, I just feel bad for Dana Carvey. Yeah, yeah. So there was a feud. So the feud goes back, it goes even farther. So apparently... Dana and Mike Myers had a feud because so Mike Myers famously impersonated Lauren Michaels as the character of Dr. Evil in Austin Powers. And apparently it was Dana Carvey's impersonation of Lauren Michaels that Wayne or that Mike Myers was using. Like there were certain things that he did maybe with the pinky and all of this that that were Dana. Dana actually is the one who came up with this impersonation of Lauren Michaels and Mike Myers apparently copied it. That's all alleged and inferred. Which, but Dana Carvey's brilliant. Apparently, and, um, as far as impressions go, Dana Carvey's impressions are hilarious. Yeah, um, D- when Mike Myers shows up to Saturday Night Live, Dana Carvey is the guy on that show. So he does the church lady, which was huge. He did the George Bush impersonation. Not going to do it. Not going to do it. Did it. <laughs> you know, he was just perfect. He was the guy. Um, even his Ross Perot yeah. was hilarious. I was partial to Grumpy Old Man. Like, we, in my day, we didn't have hair dryers. We had to go out in the middle of a tornado. And, <laughs> oh, no, I got a, lot, a chunk of wood lodged in my head. But we liked it. We loved it. Just perfect. He was so hilarious. Dana Carvey's brilliant. And he should have been bigger, quite frankly. And it must have been hard to watch Mike Myers blow up. Yeah, because I forgot he made that uh, Master of the Skies movie 
Yeah. Oh, it was bad. Yeah, it was bad. I love you, Mike Myers, but I'm Team Dana. Team Dana. Um, yeah, but Mike Myers being the winner of this movie, yeah, for sure. For sure. I, I can't argue with that. He got a lot of money post this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Go Get Him Next Time Award. Is there anyone who is disappointing in this movie? I don't think so. I think everyone hits it. Yeah. There's just a certain level of like tongue and cheekness and like everyone seems to be in on the the jokes and yeah. I I like it. I think so. I was reading this interview with Penelope Spheris uh that she gave for the thirtieth anniversary of the movie. And she said, um she was talking maybe about the reason why the sequel doesn't quite work like the original. Um, and she says it has like we she says, quote, we had no idea when we were making this movie uh, that it was going to be what it was. She said, I'm absolutely astounded and amazed that it survived these 30 years and is still in good favor. Um, she says it's indescribably gratifying. It was a magical combination of cast and crew and a magical moment. There's really no other way to explain it. So there was a freedom. She goes on to explain there was this freedom when we were making it because nobody expected they were making anything that was going to survive. They thought they were making a movie about a dumb skit on Saturday Night Live. And so there was no pressure. They were just having fun. And I think that comes through in the movie. And that's why it works. And uh, unfortunately, when they made Wayne's World 2, there still has those moments because these dudes are brilliant. Yeah. Um, but it's just not quite as charming. And I think the charm is why it's good. And like they're doing something like big scale because they have to go out to Colorado and like put on a concert. That's that's like the gist of the movie. Yeah. And it doesn't make sense for the place they're at at the end of the first one. Yeah. It jumps the shark. Um, a bottom line question for this movie, and this is this has to be for you because this holds such a giant place in my heart that I can't be the one that answers. Does it hold up? Is this still, was it you were, you're watching it basically for the first time really watching it. Like you'd seen Adult bits and pieces. Years. Yeah. Do, is it still something you watch and go, man, that I was entertained. Um, I think if you are mid to older millennial and before that, it holds up really well. Okay. Cause for a certain time. And I would agree with that. There's yeah. a lot of like in the moment references and especially with the product placement stuff that yeah. like you had to be there. You have to know certain things. Uh, no one knows Alice Cooper these days. <laughs> oh, my 14 year old daughter. We watched a few of the skits from Saturday Night Live. She just didn't get it. She looked at me like with her mouth open wide, like, are you serious? <laughs> it's like, you guys liked this? I'm like, well, you had to be there. <laughs> I kind of want to see what her reaction would be to when Chris Farley would do his interviews with famous people. And he'd be like, do you remember that one time? <laughs> <laughs> like, that was totally great. <laughs> uh, that was awesome. Um, she did. She has watched Tommy Boy with me and she was entertained by Tommy Boy. But it's a different kind of comedy. Yeah, and it's not so that transcends time. Yeah, yeah, it's not based on like particular jokes landing based on the product or based on the period of time. And yeah. Wayne's World hits a just a particularly nostalgic place for me. Uh, just man, really, in some of my formative comedic, like I was learning 
what kind of comedy was for me in my middle school years when Wayne's World was a popular skit. And um, yeah, just really dig it. And watching it again in the last couple of days was pretty joyful for me. Garth was, oh, like just his facial mannerisms. Like he didn't even have to speak. Like he just had like this really like positive smile look and like do something with his mouth and you'd be like <laughs> team Dana. I'm Dana Carvey. I'm one day someone's going to write a book about like how he should have been much bigger than he was. He was always the sidekick, but dude's brilliant. Dude's brilliant. Yeah. Um, but yeah. All right. Hey, uh, tell us what you thought about Wayne's world. If you've gone back and rewatched it or if we've inspired you to go back and rewatch it, Do tell it. us, tell us what you think. I got it on Amazon prime for like five bucks. Bought it. Oh, five bucks. I only rented it for like two ninety nine. Yeah, it was like so. Amazon had it for three ninety nine to rent or four ninety nine to buy. I was like, I'm buying that. I'd buy that for an extra dollar. That's a RoboCop line. It is. Anyways, um, yeah. Uh, also, we're going to Planet Comic Con in Kansas City. When this pod drops, we'll be there that Friday. That this pod drops, we are going to be in Kansas City. At uh, what's the name of the place? Uh, Bartle Bartle Hall. Yeah. yeah, Bartle Hall. That's where the Comic Con is at in Kansas City. Come find us. Come see us. If you come and you say, "Hey, I listen to the Pop Culture Pastor podcast. I love your podcast," then there may be a prize in it for you. We got lots of lots of swag. So, all the swag. All the swag. So uh, come check us out. Also, if you could be so sweet as to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review, give us five-star review, that would be great. Helps us out immensely. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. We'll see you at Comic-Con or next week. Yeah. Yeah. Bye.